0: Good morning. How are you guys this morning? Glad you're here. Um, If you've been coming to Vintage for a while, um, specifically in the season, then we are on... Uh, part seven of an eight-week series called Emotional Healthy Spirituality. We have people meeting in groups throughout the week uh, to kind of discuss the different pieces of where we are. Uh, so next week will be our last, you know, scheduled piece with Emotional Healthy Spirituality. And this week we're looking at at really what I, I would say is the, is the whole crux of the matter. You know, as we've gone through the past several weeks, um, if you've been regularly attending, you know that the last few weeks have been hard. They've been difficult. They've been, you know, hard things to wrestle with and hear about. I mean, how do you deal with grief and loss and how do you deal with, you know, what uh, Peter Scazzaro calls the wall? You know, of this of this hardship in your life and how do you get through times and struggles and and heal from wounds? I mean, you know, who wants to preach a three week series on on hitting this this wall that you just feel stuck against and and diving into, you know, how to deal with, you know, difficult relationships and then how to deal with with grief and loss? I mean, I don't know how Steve did it. I mean, he's got to be exhausted. But the reality is we know that that's that's hard to hear. And hard to, like, come to, to church and embrace because, you know, why are we here? You know, well, you know, I like getting a shot in the arm. I like, you know, being reminded. I like learning about who God is and, and hearing about what, what, you know, hope there is for me to come. But the reality is the main thing that this is all about is the who God is in your life and who you understand him to be and who you know him to be. And as we dive into that this this morning, we're going to look at, you know, the uh, little blurb that we put out. You know, I I wrote this question. You know, are you are you are you, you find yourself tired, frustrated, angry and stressed by the people around you? Any takers? Right. Why do these so clearly describe most of our lives? And so as we look at how to grow to become emotionally mature, then we recognize that we, we have to pass through the terrible twos emotionally, that we have to mature beyond the complaining, whining, and why am I not getting what I want? I'm going to get frustrated and angry and cry out. We have to move past that and be able to step into who God is calling us to be, because None of you in here hopefully will start crying and screaming because you didn't get, you know, your milk this morning. But an infant absolutely would. So somewhere in your life, you matured past just having to have milk to feed on. And the same thing is true for us in our spiritual lives. We have to embrace a weaning to be able to go into a place with God to mature and to be able to have healthier relationships And so this morning, we're going to look at, you know, some of the aspects of what it takes uh, for emotional maturity to take place. Peter Scazzaro defines emotional maturity in this book that we've been going through over the past several weeks. He says emotional health is defined as our ability to be self-aware and to love well. To be self-aware and love well. So we started off and we recognized we, we dove into, you know, we have to slow down. How, how much do we recognize how fast paced our lives are and how busy we are that we have to slow down and learn how to walk with God? That the speed of our culture does not have to be the of our, speed of our life, that God is calling us to be a people that are different. And that's in a number of different ways. But specifically in our immediate culture, that's a people that aren't in a hurry. Because he's not in a hurry. And if we're going to grow to be like him and he's not in a hurry, then we have to learn how to be comfortable and not be in a hurry. We have to recognize, become self-aware and recognize the things that he is wanting to do in us and the things that he is wanting to do around us, that we can join him in his work. And that requires, uh, uh, in large part, being able to dive into disciplines of of. of of taking discipline, spiritual disciplines and practice, practicing them. We call that the contemplative lifestyle and we've unpacked that in the, in the previous weeks. But today we're going to look at what all these kind of culminate to mean and how do we become emotionally mature adults? Emotional maturity can take place when number one, we stop believing that love is an emotion. stop believing that love is simply an emotion. Well, I don't feel like showing love to my spouse right now because we just were in an argument or I don't feel like showing love to my neighbor right now because I don't like the way they treated me last week. I don't feel like is a major issue within your heart and my heart. It steals, kills and destroys the work of that God wants to do to mature us and to be a people that are called by His name. Jesus Christ did not feel like dying on a cross. We cannot live our lives continually. Expecting that we're going to grow in the knowledge of who God is and grow to mature in our spiritual life and let feelings continue to be our God. How many times do we in a week? I mean, let's just face it. I think probably most all of us are gripped by this. Our culture is consumed by it. That what we feel like dictates what we're going to do. And we have to recognize that that feel, that feeling and the, the voice of that feeling has become an idol in our life that sits over the throne that that really consults self and says, OK, well, what do I really want to do? And then that's what I'm going to I'm going to participate in. As I said, Jesus did not feel like going to the cross. Jesus did a lot of things that he didn't feel like doing because the one thing that trumped what he Wanted to do was to glorify his father. So he didn't look to himself. To decide what he was going to do. He looked and had this codependent like relationship with the father. Just read through the gospel of John and you'll see Jesus over and over again. I think every time I preach, I mention this Jesus over and over again, clearly saying, I simply do what I see my father doing and say what I hear my father saying, because he is consumed, not with what he feels like doing. He is consumed with what the father has in his agenda for him in his life. And he can't wait to glorify his father by being obedient to that peace. You see, his feeling was not the center of his life. His heart to be obedient to this loving father that he had a relationship with was the core and the center part of his life. And in that, Jesus was an incredibly emotionally mature person and a model for every one of us to follow. But we have to recognize this place where we've made feeling and the emotion of feeling an idol in our life. So we have to stop believing that. And if we look at, at at how to come around this, Psalm 130, 134, two says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Can anybody lift their hand right now? Anybody? Okay. Um, did you necessarily feel like raising your hand or did you just choose to do so? Because there's a difference. You see, culturally, we've, we've ultimately been taught under this umbrella of feeling that our feelings dictate our actions. Our feelings dictate our behavior. And biblically, there's another option. The psalmist is writing, he says, lift your hands, give action to the thing that you know you should do and let your feelings come alongside You see, that's a place where Jesus was able to be obedient to his father, even to the point of death on a cross, that he did not let his feelings dictate what his life was going to be. He let his actions dictate where he was headed and what he was about and who he was there to to glorify. And so he let his actions be put into place. And if we, as God's people, would recognize that how much we let our feelings speak to What we act upon, then we would recognize a great source of our immaturity, because if we're going to mature, then we're choosing to act out of obedience, not acting out of emotion. And when we choose to act out of obedience, now God's word can have a place of action. How many times have you not picked up God's word and I not picked up God's word and said, I just don't feel like doing that right now. Prayer. God, I just don't, I probably should pray right now, but I'm really busy. I don't have time. I don't feel like I can do that right now. And, and so I don't feel like doing it. And then, so if I were to do it without feelings being behind it, now that would make me a hypocrite. Eugene Peterson says that we are, uh, we are psychosomatic beings, which is, which is to say that our bodies and our spirit are intertwined and interconnected. They're interrelated in every way that our emotions do not have to be the thing that, that drives our behavior. Our behavior can lead our emotions. And as we choose to obey and as we choose to embrace, as we choose to pursue the Lord, even when we don't feel like it, our emotions can follow along. And this is the heart behind what the psalmist is saying in the place of despair, I come before the Lord and I raise my hands to give him worship. How many times do we miss church simply because God didn't feel like going today? And the mature Christian says, you know what? I don't feel like doing this today, but I'm going to go do this today because I know it's right. And it's healthy for me to go worship God in community with other Christians. And I would venture to say that probably nine times out of, ten, out of ten, that Christian that chooses to do it not based on their feelings, but chooses to do it because they desire to put God first and not their feelings first, walks out of here blessed. Don't believe me, try it sometime. Try not listening to and actually rebelling against your feelings and pursue the Lord when you don't feel like it and see what God does in your heart. So the number one thing we have to do if we're going to emotionally mature is we have to stop believing that love is an emotion and we need to be able to let love be an action that we respond to. And a calling and who, who he has for us to be. Here's a really healthy principle that I want you to recognize the voice that you listen to. We'll we'll call I'm I'm speaking of feelings at the moment. So the voice of feelings, so feelings say, I don't feel like going to church, fill in the blank with whatever you want it to be. That's just an easy one to pick on because we're in church. Right. I don't feel like doing this. Right. The voice that you listen to and obey now has a right to paint a perspective in which you see things. I don't feel like forgiving my neighbor. I don't feel like loving my neighbor right now. If you don't feel like loving your neighbor and you choose to not go serve and forgive or do whatever that action is that you could be doing by loving them and embracing them or forgiving them. Then I promise you, if you will look at those scenarios in your life, you'll see that you have this. This lens, this filter in which you're seeing your neighbor that is, has nothing to do with how God sees your neighbor. The voice that you listen to and obey has a right to paint a picture, to paint a lens over the way you see things in life. And if we're going to grow into mature people that follow God and are called before him. To love him and to come to know him. Then we have to be able to recognize how many things he wants us to obey. And when we obey those things, a whole new perspective can come onto the scene. Try the next time you're in a in a tiff or an argument with your with your spouse. Pulling back from how you feel in the things that you want to say and instead expressing love and kindness and gratitude for who they are. And see what feelings come within the next five minutes. Stopping the argument and saying, you know what? Let's just stop. I'm sorry. I hear what you're saying. I receive what you're saying. There's some things that I need to work on and God wants to do in me. And I want, to, want you to hear those things. I want you to hear that I want to change. And this segues us into the next piece. If we're going to grow to be emotionally mature people, then we have to embrace that my selfishness is the first part of the problem. My selfishness is the first part of the problem. You see, I look at everything and I see everything from the lens in which it affects me and the lens in which it affects what I want. Now, does that sound like an adult or does that sound like a two year old? Anybody ever had a two-year-old? They're not real mature people, right? Enough time has not yet taken place that they could grow out of what they want to be the thing that completely consumes their life. And somehow we've matured as humans to be able to move past crying and fussing, you know, that we didn't get the toy or having some discipline that we don't just buy everything that we want Somehow we've matured to some degree in that point, but a lot of us have never matured emotionally, spiritually. What does God have in store for you? What does God have in store for me? As I learn to recognize that there is so much more that he has in store as I give myself to pursuing him and not just find myself being dissuaded by the selfishness within me. You see, the selfishness within me makes me the, the judge and jury over every relationship and every one of you. That selfishness within me wants to bring about judgment in every interaction that I have with every person in my life. Somebody want to show me where that is a good idea? I'll give you the mic, I promise. In fact, the opposite is the instruction being given. And so if the opposite is instruction being given biblically to not judge, then we have to recognize that nature within us that needs to be able to put everybody in a defined place based on what we perceive them to be and based on how we accept them to be. We're going to get further into that as we as we moving to the next step. But the reality is if we, if we open up the word and look at, at the very beginning of where things started and we go to Genesis chapter two, I'm going to read a verse for you here. Two verses, Genesis chapter two, verses eight and nine. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east of Eden. And there he put man that he had formed and the Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the, grow out of the ground trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you've ever been in church before, or if you live in America, you have probably heard about Adam and Eve and the beginning and creation and that there were two trees. And, and you know, there's this tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they were commanded not to. Have you ever really thought about what life would be like? For you and for me, had they not eaten of that tree? First of all, we all be naked and that'd be a little uncomfortable, but it wouldn't be uncomfortable. Don't imagine me naked right now. That would be uncomfortable. But because there's not this knowledge of good and evil, then they they were okay with that. Like, imagine that they weren't, God's intention was not for them to have an Understanding and everything be weighed from the perspective of what is good and what is not good. That's this source, this root, this, the seed that was planted within us in that sin to take the take from that fruit and eat it created that nature within us to need to look at everything and judge it to look and have a relationship with everything and judge it based on how I perceive it. Is this good or is this bad? Is this a positive thing this person is doing or a negative thing? You see, that's where this thing came from. And we have to go back to the very root of this thing and recognize we were never created to live from the mindset of living by what I think I know. Instead, there's two ways of living. There's a way that Jesus says, John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it in abundance. There are two trees in the garden that were in the middle of the garden, the very center of, of the place that God had for man to live. And there are two trees in your life. A tree that bears fruit of life and a tree that bears fruit of evil. And that tree, that second tree, is this tree of living by this nature Of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, both these trees, the first one, life, I'm learning to live from who I know. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil, I'm living by what I know. Now, we were born into a nature to live by what we know. But if we're going to mature into the people that God has called us to be. We have to mature into being a people who live according to who we know, not what we know. We have to recognize that there is a change that God wants to do within me. And embrace that change in order to be the people that he created us to be. Because he never created us to be in the center of our own worlds. He never created us to to live with this constant judgment and needing everybody to fit into a certain way that we see them to be shaped. He created us to be consumed and to be focused on him and to be able to look at each other and see his image in each one of us. The second way that that we have the the comparison of life and the knowledge of of good and evil is we live trusting God versus live trusting my own thoughts. We see in uh, in Scazzaro's book, he he points out, I think, uh, Scott Peck writes that he says uh Scott Peck says, learning how to grow out of our narcissism is at the heart of our spiritual journey. Learning how to grow out of our narcissism, where we're the center of everything and letting and learning how to be able to trust God rather than trust our own thoughts. That's the very heart of what it means to walk on the path of spiritual maturity and learning how to be able to become self-aware and and, and able to grow in learning how to be able to love people. Well, the third piece is. In living life is this tree of life is loving and enjoying others and the tree of knowledge of good and evil always has a place to self justify where there's expectations and as we've talked about judging others. You see, living from this tree and this perspective of the knowledge of good and evil always is asking myself, what do I think about this scenario? And based on what I think about this person in this scenario, I give myself my justification to then act. And the reality is self just there's nothing spiritually healthy about listening to a voice of self justification because self-justification will always make another person wrong and you right and give you an excuse not to love because now I don't feel like it but if we're going to grow and mature to be spiritual people that God has for us to get past the terrible twos that spiritually then we have to be able to recognize and this voice, when it's constantly reeling in our head, giving us an excuse and giving us an out, always against who God is calling us to be. As I started to recognize the voice of self-justification in my own mind, in my own life, I've never seen that self-justification lead me to surrender and submit myself to God. It's always to give me an out. It's always to give me a way To escape and make somebody else the problem. When we when we live with expectations in relationships, I think Schizero does an amazing part with this. He makes it very clear expectations, he says, are those things that we believe right should exist that were never communicated and accepted by the other person. Anybody have any of those in a relationship? Where you did not communicate and have an, an, an agreement that this is the way things are going to be, right? Like if, if you told your spouse to water the plants on Thursday night and you put it on the calendar and it was on the refrigerator, you know, it's my job to water the plants on Thursday night and they agree to do so. Well, that's a clear expectation. Okay. There's a clear thing that got that didn't happen because there was communication. And there was agreement, but most of our expectations are not warranted. Most of our expectations that are stealing, killing, and destroying our life are things that are never communicated and never agreed upon. And yet we live not communicating those and agreeing to those and letting them haunt us. Anybody have a, ever had a difficult time over the holidays with, with extended family? Right? Right. Um, I I challenge you try to make it through the through Thanksgiving holiday if you're going to be with extended family and not and watch for expectations, misplaced expectations and count how many you can come up with. How many become visible? Because if you if there's any friction and tension in in your extended family with in-laws or something else, I can promise you there are a lot of misplaced expectations that have never been spoken and agreed to be. The thing that we're going to do. There's a lot of expectation of how things should go. A lot, right? There's a lot of how things should go that just are how things should go. And if you're new, if you're, if you're with your in-laws, well, that can just become shocking, right? But if it, if, if it's your family, if it's your immediate family, then you just know, okay, this is how this goes. And, and we don't talk to Aunt Sue about this because Everybody knows, don't mention that to Aunt Sue. Like, don't mention Aunt Sue, what do you do for a living, right? Well, if you don't know, if you're the in-law coming in and you don't know that, you know, then you're going to get, you're going to get wounded like everybody else that asked Aunt Sue that question. But everybody in the family knows you don't ask Aunt Sue about her career. How many of those expectations do we live with on a daily basis? You see, there are two types of, two types of fruit. The fruit of life and love are the fruit of death, and ever since Adam and Eve ate that that fruit, ate from the knowledge the tree from the knowledge of good and evil, it is within our nature to live according to the nature of weighing everything as good and evil, but all that does is solidify fruit of what the enemy came to do to steal, kill, and destroy. but Jesus came to give An alternative to that Jesus said I came that there may be another way That you can enter into And you can grow and mature As you follow me As my spirit comes to live with inside inside of you I will empower you To live the life that I created you to have Advantage we call that your real life Becoming the person God created you to be But if you don't have an intention And a passion To live in this way and following him Friends then you're stuck in your terrible twos And I'm sorry for you I really am. I'll sit in my office as a pastor and hear, hear from your, your relationships as they, as you know, the enemy eats away at them like cancer. And I'll encourage you with the same kind of truths that I'm trying to encourage you with today. But the reality is until we learn to embrace the, the truth and the life that Christ has in store for us, as long as we keep going by the status quo of that nature within us, instead of fighting Ravagingly against that nature and 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 pressing into the goodness of God that we can know who he is. Then we're going to find ourselves stuck, frustrated, angry. Isolated and alone. But God has something more in store for you and for me. He has a way for you to live. Based on the, the truth of a fruit of a tree of life. And the third thing, as we start to wrap up, the third thing that we have to know in order to grow to be emotionally mature is we have to learn how to love well. In this, this chapter that we're in, Skazero addresses a uh, uh, Jewish theologian, um, Martin Buber. We won't get into the depth of this language, but he compares this I thou to I it. And basically the the thou to it piece, in the thou, you're seeing another person as a person, the person that God created them to be. And you're seeing them through the lens that God looks at that person and sees them. And from an it perspective, we're looking through the lens that is now more natural to us, and we're seeing them as an object. We're seeing them as a means. We're seeing them for what value they give to us or whether or not they can accomplish something that we need in our own lives. We're seeing them as an it, not a person. And if we're going to grow to become emotionally mature, then we have to have this transformation take place within us because we can't do this on our own, that the spirit of God has to we have to. Daily, Learn to surrender this and learn how to love people well. And that means learning how to see others from an outward mindset. Learning how to look at every person in every scenario and every neighbor that made you mad. And say, I wonder what, mis- what, mis- what must be going on in that person's life to respond the way that they did. Being able to look at a spouse when they they... You know, jump down your throat for leaving the cap off the toothpaste. They'll say, I wonder what must be going on today that that would be their response. Learning how to step into this goodness of seeing this blessing, this gift that God gives us to be able to see people as he sees them transforms our life. But here's the reality where that that piece is transformed. Transformed. I'm going to begin by asking as a question. I'm going to let you think about it for a second. Why do you come to God when you come to God? Why do you come to God? Because why you come to God is rooted in who you see God to be. If you see God to be a God who is here to come alongside and try to meet your needs, who is here to be a a figure with supernatural power to help you have life, you know, the way you think it needs to be lived, then you're coming to God in a very immature way. And he wants you to be able to see that in order to lead you to a place of maturity. I'm going to read a section in, uh, in a book that I've, I've fallen in love with this, this over the last few weeks, "A Long Obedience in the Same Directions," written by Eugene Peterson. And he's quoting uh, a guy by the name of Arthur Weister, I believe his name is. Listen to this with me. The translators of the Jewish Bible have retained the literature of the Hebrew metaphor enough for me to keep my soul tranquil. And quiet, like a child in its mother's arms, as content as a child that has been weaned. The last phrase, as a child that has been weaned, creates a completely new, unguessed reality. This is a commentary, essentially, on on Psalm 131. The Christian is not like an infant crying loudly for his mother's breast, but like a weaned child that quietly rests by his mother's side, happy in being with her. No desire now comes between him and his and his God, for he is sure that God knows what he needs before he asks. And just as a child gradually breaks off the habit of regarding his mother only as a means of satisfying his own desires, he learns to love her for her own sake. So the worshiper, after a struggle, has reached an attitude of mind in which he de- he desires God for himself and not as a means of fulfillment for his own wishes, his life center of gravity has shifted. He now rests no longer in himself, but in God, the transition from a sucking infant to a weaned child um, from squalling baby to quiet son or daughter is not smooth. It is stormy and noisy. It is no easy thing to quiet yourself sooner sooner. You may calm calm the sea or rule the wind or tame a tiger Then quiet ourselves. It is a pitched battle. The baby is denied expected comforts and 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 flies into rages or sinks into sulks. There are sobs and struggles. The infant is facing its its first great sorrow and it is in sore distress. But to the weaned, the child, his mother and his comfort, though she has denied him comfort. It is a blessed mark of growth out of spiritual infancy when we can forego the joys which once appeared to be essential and can find our solace in him who denies them to us. Let me ask you. Can you recognize why you come to God? And can you see the opportunities? And the challenges and the struggles And the difficult circumstances that exist in your life that can be weaning agents to move in your relationship with God beyond the place of needing to come to him because you need something from him and being able to come to the place that you come to him because you adore him. And it's enough just to be held in his arms as a weaned child is. Because at that place, he can finally embrace and put his arms around his mother's neck and love her and find security and find fulfillment and find a joy within himself. Because now he is not stuck on being able to on having to come for her and cry for her in need. He is now able to enjoy her for who she is and the love that she wants to give him. Friends, if we're going to mature. Then we have to recognize the weaning moments and the difficulties and the circumstances. And as James says in James one, we consider it pure joy when we endure trials of many kinds for God is doing a work within us to produce a perseverance. And that perseverance is, is finishing this work that we might be complete and not lacking anything because in that place of growing and maturing, then we can look at those moments and smile. Because we have a God who we can embrace and hug. We can have a God who is worth living our lives to adore and be obedient to. The feelings that once led the cart of our life now get put behind us. And they get to get brought alongside to be feelings of pleasure and joy. You see... God is a God of joy and his people have the ability to delight and enjoy him. And for most of us, delighting and enjoying is not the thing that leads us to pursue God. The thing that leads us mostly to pursue God in an immature state is. The way that we judge and see and perceive and want and desire, just like an unwinged child. And when we don't have our way, well, then we're kind of fed up with it. But if we will trust that God has a plan and a purpose and that he is good, then we will mature and grow. And just as Steve was saying earlier, give comment to why we come to church as we mature church. Then we don't come to church to come to church. We don't come to church to be able to check a box. We don't come to church because it's something that's good for us. I come to church because Brad comes to church. I come to church because James at church. I come to church because Marty came to church. And God has a plan for me to love Brad today and for me to care about Marty today. And for me to have each of you somehow in my life, because God wants to love you through me and he wants to love you, love me through you. But if that's not why you're coming to church. Church, then we have an immature church. If we're coming before God not to be able to worship and adore him. Then there's some maturity that he has and wants to do in our lives. And that should make you smile. Because that means the best is yet ahead. That means God has a plan for you to be able to live and bear fruit from the tree of life. And not be stuck finding death by always having to live by what you understand and can justify and need to judge. Jason, I'm going to invite you guys to come on up. We're going to take a few moments. And I want you to hear this from me. God is a God that is full of joy. He's full of joy. I, I, I steal this from, from Dallas Willard. I love this perspective. He said, if you don't understand that your God is a God of joy, then, then you got the wrong God. You're we are worshiping the wrong, the wrong person, because God is a God of joy. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. Psalms talks about it, that that there is joy in his presence. There are pleasures forevermore at his right hand. Creating everything that we know to be in creation was an enjoyable thing for God to do. He looked at it and he said, this is good. And he wants you to be able to experience the joy that exists in his presence as we mature and come to know him and adore him for who he is, not based on what we think he can offer us in the moment. So I encourage you and challenge you ask God to awaken you to this joy, ask him to awaken you to this place of maturity, ask him to awaken you into the place that he created you to be in the garden The place where Jesus came to suffer and die so that we could get back to in our relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we we just I just recognize and and make aware that this has not been a popular series in the in the life of vintage. But Lord, we are so grateful. Thank you, Lord, that uh, exposing the. The deeper things behind the curtain in our lives is uh, is not a is not a fun thing. But thank you, Lord, that this is not about fun. This is about this is about life. This is about joy. This is about the goodness. This is about truth. This is about exposing all the twisted things that the enemy has used in our life to try to turn you into somebody that you're not. Lord, expose the reality that you are good and that you don't do anything that's not good. But we haven't believed that. We haven't understood that. We haven't known that. But it is your desire to be known in that way. Thank you that you have hope and a future and plans for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have called whoever is here to mature and to be caught up in the goodness of who you are. And then out of that goodness, Lord, from the roots of knowing you and coming to you because we adore you, Lord, everything else that we've talked about this morning can flow. Everything else was about what it, the reality is about how and who and the who is that it is you loving these people and us being able to see them through your eyes. Lord, we don't have the capacity to see them the way you created them be. We just see them by how they're acting. And then Lord, it just completely distracts us. But in your goodness, your spirit is placed within us and we have a new life. So come and give us new eyes, come and give us a new heart, come and teach us how to love because Lord, we confess, we don't know how, and we are incapable of loving unconditionally like you are, but this is good news because you came to bring up there down here, That it can be a lived out reality. So right now, I pray for the spirit of conviction, Lord, to put a smile on people's face. That you turn on the light right now on the things that the enemy has held them captive by. Of the self-justifications and the, the judgments and the expectations that have been stealing, killing and destroying, Lord. They don't have to haunt anymore. There is a new way to live. So let us embrace it as a journey and and grow every day. Lord, we take delight in the reality that this is a process. This is not a microwave fix and it doesn't just happen in a moment. But we can come to the reality of the goodness of who you are and confess from our hearts and in our minds and with our mouths this morning, Lord, change me. Let the fruit of my My tree be life. I'm sick of the death. Lord, I humble myself before you. I cry out, have mercy. Have mercy. Lord, let this space be felt. Let me, let me desire you. Let me desire just to put my arms around your neck and embrace you for who you are. Lord, from this root comes your fruit of life. And I pray that you would bless your people this morning. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. As the Lord may have Shown a light on something specific, I encourage you to come this morning and just confess it to them. Word teaches us as we confess our faults to one another, there's healing that can take place. Well, I don't really feel like doing that. Well, I don't really care if you feel like doing that. That's part of why I'm challenging you to do it. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him and experience the goodness of life. We also have our offering baskets up here this morning. If you choose and desire to give as an act of worship and last, but definitely not least, we have communion to my right and your left represents the body of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. His body was broken and his blood was shed for you to be able to experience the goodness of his life and not be bound by the nature of sin any longer. So if you desire, come and celebrate that goodness as a turning point and a new leaf to be turned over, a page to, to turn in your life, to choose his goodness and to desire to walk on the pathway in the journey of maturity. Thank you for coming.